Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. My name is Kevin Garber. I'm the CEO of Manage Flitter. It is Friday, the 4th of November, and you're listening to episode 66 of the It's a Monkey podcast. We have a huge show lined up for you today. Um, Later on in the show, we chat to Jackson Palmer. Now, Jackson Palmer has um, a big claim to fame, and in that he's actually the founder of co-founder of dogecoin which you might have stumbled across if you uh, are redditor um, or if you if you uh, um, sort of cruise anywhere along the net or you're interested in cryptocurrency but we actually don't chat to him about cryptocurrency we, we chat to him about the latest uh, max um, jackson's got some interesting opinions about that so that's coming up later on in the show um, as usual we have um, we're going to Uh, get through to the news uh, pretty shortly but firstly um, the startup minute now this is a new feature if you're a startup um, whether you're a new startup or a bit more of an established startup you can send us an audio file just telling us a little bit about your startup keep it to 60 seconds only Um, and this week's um, startup minute is uh, comes from a company called yes course that provide a platform for you to create your own courses and and uh, monetize your own courses they're based out here in sydney so we're just going to be quickly going to our startup minute and here's yes course hi monkey podcast team i love listening to the tech thought leaders on your podcast and i think your listeners are going to find our edutech platform really useful this is sherpa the co-founder of yescourse.com entrepreneurs use our plug-in play system to run their online schools from their own websites now it all started when i decided to start my own online training school as a stay-at-home mother but i was extremely overwhelmed and frustrated with the technology to build my online school this was when Atul, my partner, decided to make an easy plug-and-play platform to help me upload, deliver, and sell my online courses from my website. And this is exactly what inspired us to launch Yes Course. Today, we have over 3,500 online training academies across 74 countries running on the platform. So if you are a consultant, coach, trainer or seminar leader and want to take your expertise online then build your school for free on yescourse.com great so with me in the studio is my co-host kate frappel um double p double l on twitter please follow (laughs) her um kate is the design lead here at manage flitter kate good to see you again thanks for having me back even though uh, we see you every single day, sometimes even on Saturdays like this week. Um, sometimes. I have to say we've got, um, we've got a great show coming up. And um, if you want to uh, drop us a note, you can tweet us at monkeypodcast or you can send us um, your audio files for the, the Startup Minute to podcast at itsamonkey.com. And over the next few weeks, I've got some great news, um, Kate, that we are going to be going, we're going to be trying to go from every two weeks to every week. We'll see how many of those we'll drag you into as co-hosts or if we'll invite some other people as co-hosts. Yeah, sounds exciting. But we're going we're gonna to give it a go. Um, and we have some fantastic guests lined up for the next few weeks, which I'm just going to tell our, um, our listeners about. Um, 
uh, Roy Benbenishti, who's uh, from Sesame Enable. I am going to chat to him about a fantastic app um, for disabled people. Um, and we're going to talk, talk about the tech startup scene in, uh, in Israel. Um, coming up, we're going to have, uh, this is in future episodes, we're going to talk to Danielle Tate, who's the founder of a really interesting company called Miss Now Mrs. Um, that's done incredibly well. And she's also the author of a book called Elegant Entrepreneur, The Female Founder's Guide, which is a fantastic book. I've already read it. And um, Susie, um, uh, Yuan is going to be talking to us about Snapchat in a, in a future episode as well. So I've been looking for a Snapchat expert to talk about, and I found her um, in our back door in Sydney. So we're going to be talking to her. And Kathy Hackle, we're going to be talking about AR and VR. So we've got a, a ton of amazing guests coming up. If you haven't subscribed um, yet at itsamonkey.com, pop us into your um, podcast um, device. But anyway with the podcast reader um with all of that out the way let's talk about the news a <laughs> um, couple of interesting news articles facebook at work well it was called facebook at work and now it's called facebook workplaces Place. um, they finally this month actually opened it to the the wide world yeah open to the masses so tell us a little bit about what it is kate uh essentially a slack competitor um so team, team organization, team chat. I think the benefit would be as well that you can integrate events. I had a quick look at it. I mean, it's essentially leveraging the existing Facebook shell um, for teams. And I think mm. it's fantastic because let's be honest, people sit on Facebook at work in any case. True. <laughs> so you may as well let them um, toggle to the Facebook um, at work. And of mm. course, they're a little bit late in the game because there's Slack, there's Yammer, which we both use at Manage. Uh, we use them both at Manage Flutter. I actually registered yeah. for Facebook Workplaces, but they push you into a demo first. Yeah, three-month trial, I think. Yeah, so I couldn't get access. They've scheduled a demo with one of their team okay. members. Um, it's $3 per user a month. That scales down to $1 per user per month if you have a really big team. Looks really interesting, um, particularly mm. the event side of things. Um, yeah. Well, I don't know whether the fact that it's so similar to Facebook is a benefit or not. I mean, for smaller businesses, um, for example, people who aren't working at their desks, you know, they're already familiar with the Facebook interface, that so this is a benefit for them. But others who are already, you know, associate Facebook as a, a social, a fun medium, I don't know whether it's going to be hard to transition from like a serious workplace program to a fun social program. It's a very good point that I think there's associations are powerful. And if people associate Facebook with their social friends and then they suddenly like uh, Facebook for workplaces. So I'm just I can never get away from this animal called Facebook. Facebook yeah. Um, interesting. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't think of um, didn't think of that angle. I think though, mm. in some industries, though, particularly, you know, we work in tech, but in some industries where people don't sit on technology and can't onboard themselves really quickly, it might be an easy way to get people onboarded into a team tool if everyone's familiar with Facebook already. Definitely, yeah, that's the that's the, probably the primary benefit. Um, it's just a concern for, I guess, bigger tech teams. Interesting, this whole um, collaboration space is taking off. Um, Slack 
have now, you know, Microsoft's pushing hard into the space. I saw Slack put an ad, um, mm. I think it was in the New York Times, just um, saying to Microsoft, good luck, but it's a really hard thing to do, you know. Oh, wow. um, so that's going to be an interesting, um, you know, challenge. I think the problem of collaboration is a really difficult one and a really important one. Definitely. Uh, um, so these companies are really trying to, Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, trying to, um, and there's also money to be made because companies pay money. They're a lot easier than consumers. Slack is just making tons and tons of money. Mm, I think Workplace is significantly cheaper than Slack as well. At $3, Slack's up at 6 or 7 Right. Yeah, per user. They're probably intentionally undercutting them just to, you know, it's, they I don't guess. have to rely on them. Facebook's results came out today and they were... Interesting, they beat expectations on the revenue numbers, which we call turnover in Australia. Um, but the stock price came down 8%. And that's mm. because there were some comments that uh, we've done really well, but um, we don't know if we're going to be able to keep on doing as well. And mm. the market sort of got nervous about that. So that's mm. Facebook, the big, big behemoth, interesting company. So Facebook workplaces will be interested to see where that goes. We actually mentioned it on a podcast even one or two years ago. And even Facebook say that, um, you know, it's been around for a couple of years and they've mm. been using it internally and they've got a thousand companies using it. So yeah. it has been around for quite a while, but now they, they seem to be really opening the gates on it. Mm. And you know what as well, um, that we've struggled with Slack is the threaded conversations. I feel like the the replies on Facebook are going to solve that problem. Mm. Yeah, and that, I mean, they should have maybe called it, and I can picture an internal meeting where they struggled with this, mm. call it something totally different, different. not Facebook workplaces, call it, yeah. you know, X, Y, Z, and because it's a good and bad thing. But um, let, let's see what mm. Facebook workplaces, um, you know. Um, I, my, my prediction, it will become popular in industries that aren't tech industries. Yes, I think they're aiming for that too. Mm. Like that's their target market at this stage. Even schools. I mean, you can imagine schools, universities, there's a lot of teachers. Mm-hmm. A lot of them may not be technical. Um, you know, to put them all onto Slack. I mean, Slack's a little bit of a techie product. It is, but I I really love it. You love it, it but you, I mean, you, you're, you're a tech. You're I a guess. tech, but, you know, take take someone who's a social anthropology lecturer and maybe they just hate this stuff and but yet they still want to get the benefit of collaboration. Mm-hmm. Um, Slack's, it, 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 you know, it's 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 got a little bit of a, a techie overhead. But um, so, yeah, I think they, they'll do well in these uh, non-tech industries. But in the tech industry, I think Slack's just going to continue to kill it. What a fantastic product. Yeah, well, I hope so. I've got one issue. Doesn't kill them all. (laughs) No, I don't think they will. I've got one issue with Slack. Mm. They chose to set up their Australian HQ in Melbourne. Oh, come on, Slack, (laughs) Stuart Butterfield. Like, uh, you know, we. I love Melbourne. Melbourne's up and coming. Melbourne's a great city, but Melbourne's trendy. Yeah, it's cool. It's hipster. But come on, we've got we've got. We've got Twitter here. We've got, I mean, we're looking out, out of our window onto Atlassian headquarters. You know, um, we've got Beach. We've got Sunshine. Anyway, that's Facebook Workplaces. Um, another interesting development. We always, uh, you know, Google are doing a big push on all sorts of different products. And last month, Google announced their, their first native phone. Even though it's not a native phone, which is a little bit weird, it's um, manufactured by HTC. Um, but um, Google announced their Pixel phone and um, they've been 
pushing it hard on the adverts. They even in Sydney in some big expensive billboards and you know all over the place. They've been pushing the Pixel and it's got some interesting reviews. And um, I was interested to see one of our team members, um, Joe Pinto, um, who was a Nexus uh, Samsung. Um, um, what, what's the Note Seven? Sorry. Um, the Samsung Note 7 um, user and went through a few of those and of course the drama with the Note 7 um, and um, and Joe transitioned to a Google Pixel and um, she gave me an impromptu review the other day and I said to her, hey, perfect, going to drag you on the podcast. She's shaking her head now. So I'd like to introduce for the first time Josephine Pinto, who is the business operations manager at Manage Flutter. You may have uh, been in touch with her by email. She's also claimed to fame. She was part of, um, um, of a famous band that did very well on X Factor in Australia. They, they got to, to the finals and Joe's an amazing singer. Um, she, she even had a, uh, some, some groupies when you were famous there. They all started following you on Twitter and stuff, didn't they, Joe? Yes, they did. <laughs> <laughs> so welcome, welcome to the podcast. Anyway, we were here to um, talk um, Pixel. I nearly said Twitter. Uh, um, Twitter's always on my mind <laughs> day and night. Joe, you can bring the mic in front of you. Make yourself a bit more comfortable. I am very comfortable. Thank you very much. Okay, tell us, <laughs> tell, tell us about the Pixel. First of all, let's go back a step. You loved the, um, the Galaxy Note, yeah. right? Yes. Um, just tell us quickly why you loved it. Um, I didn't know that I had loved it that much. I used to have a, a Note 3, which I, I did like, but I felt it was a little bit bulky. Um, but then when the Note 7 came out and my contract was up, I thought, well, let's, let's have a go. Um, it's, it's, it has a very nice feel. I love the, the design um, and the accessories really grabbed me. So the, the LED covers, amazing. Covers close, you see it light up and you can answer calls while the covers close. That was awesome. I, I love the pen. You can just pretty much um, have it, have your uh, phone um, not lit up or, or on it and you can just pull the pen out and start writing straight away. And the wireless charging got me as well. So those were a few things that really got me with the Note 7 that had some little funky features And you sort of, you've also got a, a barbecue on hand whenever you go as well. Yes, that's true. <laughs> Very true. A nice little hand warmer for winter. Yeah, we shouldn't actually joke about it. But um, yeah, I feel sorry for um, uh, the exec team there dealing with that issue. Anyway, so you landed up with a Pixel. Yes. Um, give, us, give us your rundown of the Pixel. Um, so I've never had the, the Nexus line at all. Mm -hmm. um, so this is quite new for me and I didn't know, I mean, when you're using other branded phones with the Android system, you, I mean, you, you get the bloatware and obviously now I don't have that bloatware. So I've, I've noticed that massive difference so you, for all those purists and people who have, um, who love that minimalist feel. Developers. Yes. Developers love, I mean, all the developers here used to have Nexus because it's native Android, nothing on top of it. And they can do whatever they yeah. want in terms of getting in there and changing things easily. Yeah, exactly. Um, for me, it was a, it was a bit of a change. Um, I'm still up in arms about it. Uh, I, I get it. You get, you know, pure, clean Android um, loaded up on there and then you can just add on what you like onto it and not have that extra stuff that you may not have wanted in the first place. But having that Samsung 
um, phone. I, I I actually missed a little bit of it because there's little fancy functions in there that um, I didn't know that Android it wasn't part of Android's um, system. Uh, so I'm a little bit on the on the fence with the with the Pixel, um, but maybe that's because I haven't had it long enough, um, and it's my first time having having this sort of um, uh, clean Android installed on it. My only, I mean, my first, I I almost bought a Pixel because yeah, I got some water damage on my HTC, um, but I have to say what turned me off was when I saw your Pixel. I, it looks identical to an iPhone, not not similar. It actually just looks absolutely identical. Now I don't know why Google didn't sit in a room and just say, "Come on, let's design something with its own design touch that's got its own um, unique personality." But every time I see your phone, I just just see an iPhone. Yeah, and that's true. And I've actually had a few comments about that. They they think I've got an iPhone and. I'm like, no, no, it's a Google Pixel, and they know that I'm not much of a Mac person, <laughs> unfortunately. It's a bit bizarre. So anyway, run us through quickly um, some pros and cons that uh, you've experienced with the Pixel over the last little few weeks that you've been using it. Uh, yeah, definitely. So um, some of the, the the good stuff, I mean, I don't know if you count it as good or, you know, this is sort of a standard thing, but, you know, the headphone jack, I know there's been a lot of talk about not having headphone jacks w- with the way that Mac have gone, oh, sorry, uh, Apple have gone. Um, it comes with adapters, which is really good, um, trying to adjust from having the the mini HDMI, whatever that, that connector was. USB-C. USB-C, yep. Um, or transferring over to that. The camera is really good and it's even good in low light. That's what they're pushing really, the camera, 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 camera. Yeah. Is it really that that good? It's pretty good, yeah. It's it's up there with all the, the flagship phones. And I believe the battery life, Ian McDonald, who um, he's um, ex-founder and CEO of a company called Razor or Amnesia, who became Razor Fish here and he's, he's quite... Um, in the tech scene in Sydney, he tweeted out a, a, a Google Pixel cheat sheet. He's been trying it as well. And he also comes from Samsung. And he said it's worth getting for the battery life alone. Yeah, definitely. I, I can get up to one to two days. That's worth. pretty amazing. Yeah, it's great. I, I, I'm happy if I get up to one day on my HTC. I am a pretty big user though. So uh, Okay. I'm not a massive power user, but there are days when you, you really need that power. So battery's great, um, camera's great. Uh, for the fingerprint, I, I love it. Um, I actually used to have an LG G4, so mm. I'm actually used to having the, the the button sort of on the back, that fingerprint mm-hmm. thing. I know that a lot of people are complaining, you know, that means I have to pick it up and I get that. And, um, yep, it's true, you do have to pick it up if you want to unlock it mm-hmm. in that nice, quick way. Um but I actually don't mind it, but that's maybe because I've had the, the LG G4. So um, I count it as a plus. There's also the Google Assistant. Uh, that's their new AI enhanced um, and it's built into everything. Um, how well does that work? I try. I think, is that the same one that they have on Allo? Because I tried that on Allo when Kate and I spoke about Allo a couple of weeks ago. I think it is. Right. Yeah, um, it's good. It, uh, 
What I really like about it is the contextual searches. So I might search for a famous person, let's say Brad Pitt, mm-hmm. um, and it'll say, oh, this is information about Brad Pitt. And then you might say, who is he married to? And then it'll still know right. what you're talking about. Right. Um, that's a really good thing. I still have found a few little anomalies on there which aren't so great. Uh, for instance, I wanted to uh, ask uh, Google to to take a note for me uh-huh. and I wanted it to take um, the temperature outside. So uh-huh. I said, you know, okay, Google, can you please take a note for me and, rec- and you know, put, punch in the, the current temperature, the current temperature, 36 mm-hmm. degrees Celsius. And it wouldn't actually do that. It would, wouldn't take a note. It would actually do a search instead. Mm. So there's still a few things in there that they need to... I think okay. I think with the assistance, what they what essentially they're aiming towards. I mean, everything that we do with our fingers, you just want to talk through it. Yeah, you know, search exactly. for this, copy and paste that, add to that, email that, and you just want to be able to talk like that. They're well on the way to it, but yeah. um, um, so do you find yourself using the assistant a lot? Not uh, yes, I do in the car. Right, but for things like uh, okay, Google, take me home, mm-hmm. or okay, Google, I want to go to uh, some shopping center in Sydney. It'll it's really good for doing things like that. But, I mean, the the Google Now one worked the same way. So it, is it better? Is it worse? It's about the same. Yeah. I mean, the good thing, you'll get the, the quicker updates on Android. Yes. Um, which will be a help. But um, I'm a bit disappointed with the physical device. It's mm. just um, – it also feel, it, it feels quite quite light as well. Yeah. It's, it's not – I prefer a more solid feel. It's not an exciting-looking device. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's disappointing. Anyway, that's um, Josephine Pinto. She's the business operations manager at Manage Flutter. And um, yeah, she's, uh, she's, what else can we say about you, Joe? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> she's been with us for a long time. Were you with us when we launched Manage Flutter? Yes, I was. Were you? Yeah. It's fun going through our Yammer posts around that time, you know, it's, um, and getting our first paid customer and everything. Mm. It's, been, it's been an interesting journey. So, yeah, there are not many team members here that were around for the, the launch, but, um, yeah, it's, 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 I thought you were around for the launch, but it's been an interesting time since. So you can follow Joe. What, you are Toreen? Yes. T-O-R-E-E-N on Twitter. That's it. Um, Kate's follower numbers have bounced up since she's been on the podcast. So <laughs> some competition there. <laughs> so thanks, Joe. We'll talk to you about some other tech in the future. Um, so the, um, we're going to take a quick break, and after the break, we're going to be talking to I'm going to be talking to Jackson Palmer about the new Macs Book Pro. So stay with us. Hi, my name is Dave Zarati, and I'm the customer support specialist here at Manage Flitter. ManageFlitter is a tool that helps you work faster and smarter on Twitter. With ManageFlitter, you can clean up and grow your Twitter account. You will also get access to useful Twitter analytics, social content scheduling, and much more. Go to ManageFlitter.com and start your free trial today. You're back with It's a Monkey Podcast. My name is Kevin Garber. We talk about all things tech, uh, tech economy, um, startups, entrepreneurship. And I'm excited to say at the end of my Skype line in San Francisco, we have Jackson Palmer, who's a marketer at Adobe and also probably more famously the creator of 
Dogecoin. And um, we actually interviewed Jackson about Dogecoin on a previous episode of the Monkey Podcast. So if you go back into the archives and just go to our site and hit search, you'll you'll find it. And I was interested to see earlier this week or, or late last week after the new Apple Macs were released, um, Jackson tweeting furiously about his opinions <laughs> about the Apple Macs. So I was like, I want to talk to that man. He's got opinions about the new Apple Macs. So Jackson, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me back. It feels like forever ago uh, that I was sitting there in the office in Sydney. So uh, glad to join you remotely this time around. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's time flies on by and we're still ticking along with the podcast. Jackson, tell us, give, give us your thoughts on, on these new Macs. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so the funny thing is I actually just this morning uh, had my, my MacBook Pro 2016 delivered. So I actually uh-huh. have one in my possession. Fantastic. Um, I went yeah. to the I went to the Sydney store in George Street last night in preparation for the interview, and I sort of begged her. I said, "Don't you even have a demo version? I can just look at, I can touch." She said, "I would love to." There, there's literally physically nothing in the office in the in the store in George Street, Sydney. <laughs> yeah, so I, I haven't I haven't physically touched a touch bar model yet, but um, I have the non-touch bar model. So uh-huh. I think. Uh, Last week was a very uh, hard time for a lot of long-time Mac users because I think um, Mac users are, are typically professionals, a lot of creatives, um, very very skewed towards the creative and kind of dev community as well. And um, I think a lot of people felt that that conference, or not that conference, but that uh, announcement last week just wasn't for them. I think. Uh, with previous announcements, it's really been like, yeah, this is Apple is making a machine just for me. And I think what happened last week was that uh, Apple was was kind of selling something that was for somebody, but nobody in the room really felt like it was specifically for them. Um, of course, they got rid of the escape key, which um, <laughs> which developers use a lot in in certain um, code editors, right? Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of uh, VI, uh, which is the code editor, uh, users use that. But, you know, I'm a big user of the escape key as well. Just in typical web browsing, you know, if you want to uh, escape out of a form that you've you've accidentally clicked on or escape out of the address bar. And uh, there's all sorts of, you know, I, the other day I was, I sat down um, while I was trying to decide whether I would buy the, the version with or without the real keys. And you know, I, I was thinking to myself, I actually measured how much I use the escape key, and I found that I was actually using it quite a lot. You know, a lot of legacy applications, a lot of Adobe applications as well, use the escape key to do certain things or cancel out of certain functions. Um, I'm a big Excel user as well, same thing. Um, so as pretty much as, you know, that whole announcement, I was holding my breath because I, I knew everybody knew the touch bar was coming, but um, I was kind of holding my breath and thinking, oh my goodness, are they going to release... Um, a version that has keys and when they did as soon as they did i jumped on the website and bought the version without the keys uh with the keys i should say yeah and um i mean i'm sure you you can't speak uh, on behalf of adobe but adobe uh, if i recall was one of the official partners mentioned to that will be integrating with that touchpad some of their application functions yeah, absolutely. There is uh, there was a demo that they did up on stage, um, and I think they worked with a bunch of different partners. They had a DJ demo as well, and um, you know, to be honest, as far as demos go, I was a lot more impressed by the demos the previous day at the uh, at the Microsoft event uh, than I was at the at the Apple event. I think Microsoft really uh, kind of knocked it out of the park on uh, the day before, and I think that 
was kind of led to part of the disappointment for a lot of people, I think, in the Apple event because it was really obvious who the winner was um, between those two. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I think the touch bar is an interesting uh, way for Apple to not have to bring proper touch to their uh, to their displays. So I think you know what Microsoft showed on uh, on the previous day was that. You know they're really going all in with touch with the the studio uh, Surface Studio and also the Surface Book, um, and they're going for that approach where you're actually touching your creation, right? So you're you're interfacing directly with the UI on the screen. Um, I think, in my opinion, I, I think Apple, you know, whether it's through arrogance or whether it's just through um, the technology not being there internally yet. Um, they they kind of messed up. They missed a big opportunity to you know. It's obvious what consumers and you know prosumers in this case are looking for, and that's for the ability to reach out and touch their screen. Do you think touch is also it's a generational thing? I mean, the the digital natives, the people that grew up with Gen One iPhones, etc. I mean, touch is really their preferred or, or as preferred user interface. Whereas and and also interestingly, I think. Um, older people that started with technology very late in their lives also prefer touch. But us Gen Xs, etc., that grew up with keyboards. I mean, I still I I've got a Android um, sort of pad, a, mm-hmm. a Samsung. Um, I, I, I sort of like it, but I sort of just land up <laughs> using my MacBook Air a lot more. I just still can't uh, like a keyboard is still my preferred way of navigating around. Do yeah. you think? Do you think Microsoft's maybe taking a view a little bit for, towards those that that younger generation slash new older technologists? Yeah, well, I, I think what Microsoft are doing is simply not not trying to shoehorn, you know, a, a solution in for either. I, I think they're saying both are okay. I think. I don't think Microsoft is saying one interface method is better than, than the other. And that's what's so great about their approach. You know, um, I think at least with the Surface Book, you have a fully fledged keyboard and trackpad. But then if you want to use it as a touch device, you can just reach out and touch the screen or even fold it behind and use it like a tablet. And so I think they're giving people choices. And, and really, I think in this day and age, with so many different generational kind of uh interface paradigms out there i think it's important that you do give people choices rather than just assume that you can um you know provide one solution and that will fit all i think um the the thing with microsoft as well is i think a lot of um kind of as you said old school people uh you know yourself probably my myself included are more comfortable with the keyboard but really a a group of people that um who are who've been using touch all their lives are creatives and I think um, people who are working with photo editing, people who are working with illustration and video, these people have been using touch, but just through a different mechanism for you know 20 plus years, and they've been using Wacom tablets. Um, so they've been using these drawing tablets, which they've had on their desk in front of their keyboard, and they've had to interface with the screen in that way. And so now that I think we have the ability and the technology to put that touch right on the screen, which is what the, the Surface Studio does, um, I think creatives who are, you know, professionals with a lot of money i.e apples you know should be apple's key user base with the macbook pro um they want to actually reach out and touch they don't want to have their creativity constrained to a little thin strip of uh of touch interface at the very top of the keyboard here's the big question do you think microsoft's becoming cool again absolutely i i i really really do i think um 
I do a lot of work in the in the data science field these days. And so um, back a few years ago, uh, when when Satya Nadella joined Microsoft and took over things, um, he brought with him a bunch of change in the way that Microsoft was thinking about uh, data science online. Uh, machine learning and that kind of stuff in the cloud. And at that point, my, my ears really pricked up because I was like, wow, Microsoft haven't really ever thought this way or operated this way before. Um, and just every year, it seems like uh, you know, every month almost, Microsoft just keep, keep iterating and iterating and iterating to a point. You know, I think Microsoft uh, Windows 10 is fantastic. And I think, um, I, I think they've definitely caught up, if not you know, uh, gone past Apple in terms of um, combining that that joint venture of hardware and uh, software. So I think absolutely, uh, it, it's one of those. It's hard for me to say because I do love Apple's, and as I said, I've just bought one of the new MacBook Pros. But um, I, I think it's, there's a lot of choices out there now. Whereas probably five years ago, if you were in the market for a Windows notebook. There wasn't a really a there wasn't really anything that kind of could stand up to you know par with the MacBook Pro. There's there's probably four or five options out there now that are really good alternatives if you want to go. And like I said, it's all about choices, so that's a good thing. Um, Josephine Pinto, who's our business operations manager at Managed Flutter, she uses Lenovo Yoga. Um, yeah, and she absolutely loves it. I mean, she's a They're sort great. of organizational guru and just. Mm-hmm spreadsheets and lists and everything and she flips from from the pad to the keyboard to um and it really really works for her so um, i i think you're right um you, you know yeah absolutely i think microsoft have, have definitely become cool again and i think there's this fantastic video and i recommend everybody look it up it's on youtube if you just search like steve jobs xerox so xerox x e r o x uh he, there's a video where Steve Jobs back in the day kind of gave his opinion about why Xerox failed. Because um, Xerox, you know, they basically created the the GUI, the graphic user interface. Um, all of the technology that Apple then went and created was kind of influenced by Xerox, but they missed the boat. And the question was, what happened? And I think Steve Jobs kind of explained really well that what happened was that uh, product people were kind of pushed out of Xerox. And what happened was the... The, the sales and the marketing people who are just, you know, selling more units, right, selling more uh, to the market were the ones that ended up getting to make all the decisions instead of the people who really understood uh, who their customers were. And I think what we've seen over the last uh, kind of few years is a passing of the baton between Microsoft and Apple where, you know, Microsoft used to have that sales marketing guy. They used to have Steve Ballmer, right? And that's when things were bad. But then they got a product guy, Satya, in to start running things, and they've 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 started actually building what customers are asking for. Whereas Apple, I think they've pushed a lot of their product people out, and so now they have a bunch of you know of really strong marketers and people who can do some really good um, commercials and come up with some really good things that will sell as gimmicks. But I think the the true product people have fallen out, and as a result, you know. I, I was thinking about this the other day. I went and looked online just historically. Was anybody actually asking for the touch bar online? Was there any kind of customer forums where people were like, you know what we really need? We really need this strip of, of touch interface at the top of our keyboard. And nobody was. Uh, and I think people were asking Apple to make their, their actual screens touch, their retina screens touch. And uh, so I think it really just comes down to not listening to the customer. And, and it, there's been a really big shift in that Apple has stopped listening and Microsoft have just really opened their ears and that's why they're winning. 
Although Johnny Ive, I believe, was involved in the, the touch bar. There's an interview with him. I think it's on CNET um, where he talks about the touch bar and he talks about how difficult it is to prototype hardware because especially hardware that's integrated with software because you have to mm-hmm. have both at a pr- particularly sophisticated stage before you can actually assess what's happening. So, um, uh, I, I mean, he, he's got a lot of street cred on the product side of things. He does. I, I think Johnny Ive is... Uh you know, I haven't actually seen seen Johnny Ive in a, in a very long time. He seems to just be a voice they keep in a box somewhere. But um, I think Johnny Ive is really good at – he's kind of, in my opinion, uh, a product marketer, designer kind of guy, more so than a, than a hardcore product guy. I think he's able to really express eloquently uh, what they're trying to achieve. And I'm sure that Apple had really good intentions when they went in with the touch bar, like – you know, I don't. I don't think anybody's getting around saying, "Yeah, Apple did this just to you know mess with their their, their fans or their customers." I think it just comes down to the execution, and I think um, you know there was probably budget constraints. So there was there was probably a deciding factor which led Apple to go down this route. And um, you know, one thought I had was that maybe they couldn't fit all the internals to do a really true haptic touch. You know, what's what's in the iPad, for instance, they couldn't cram that in the space of you know um the display for for a macbook pro um you know if you if you look at one of the surface books for instance the display is considerably thicker because there's a bunch more tech you have to put in there um and so i I don't know i I think that um the the sales are going to speak for themselves i think i've seen a lot of people kind of gravitating more towards the 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 version that has the function keys and has that row of keys because In the long run, I think the touch bar might be a little bit of a gimmick. I think what's going to probably happen is there'll be a very very long tail where you have software developers starting to integrate the thing. So out the gate, you know, when when the thing's in people's hands in a couple of weeks, you know, not all software's going to support it. So there'll probably be a ramp of, say, 6 to 12 months where it eventually does um, support it. But... um, the proof's going to be in whether people actually get continued use out of it or whether it's just, um, you know, kind of a gimmick. And um, I think multiple people have tried this before. Lenovo actually used to have a laptop which had what they called an adaptive function row up the very top. Pretty much exactly the same thing. I, I know a few people at work who have this. And it's it's distracting because you're in the middle of creating something and you're looking at your screen. The last thing you want to do is look down. And, you know, as a touch typist, you know, I'm a touch typist myself. I never, I never look at what I'm typing um, to actually, because with the, if the touch screen's changing all the time, you're, you're not able to use that muscle memory to just reach and hit what you need to, like a keyboard shortcut. You're actually going to take your, distract yourself away from the code you're writing or the music you're creating or the, the photo you're editing and find the little touch button because there's no tactile feedback there either. Um, Maybe if they did haptic behind the touch bar, it might have been a little bit better because you would have been able to feel around. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's a novelty, and I think I actually think the next iteration of MacBooks probably won't have it. Um, I think it's it's almost a stopgap between now and the full machine being a touch surface. I think. Um, I mean, one of the things is I, I you know a lot of people use um, 
Macs with external keyboards and external screens. So for someone mm-hmm. like for someone like me, I mean, it's it's absolutely useless. And I know a lot of people. <laughs> I mean, all the developers in our office, most of them have uh, Macs, and they all on external keyboards and all on external screens. So, I mean, one one feature which I wish they were, they laptop manufacturers would come out with would be some form of extensible screen that sort of slides out both mm. sides so your your screen coverage can extend further than one screen because that really adds to productivity a lot I'm sure it's not a simple thing to do but um that's that's one feature i would like i also saw one feature that seems pretty cool on the new uh, max is uh, via the um sort of the touch um you, you can uh, just activate apple pay now that seems pretty cool that is really cool. The way they've integrated the the Touch ID sensor is very cool, um, and I think that has huge uses across you know Apple Pay and all sorts of secure identity stuff online. So I, I am a little sad that I'll miss out on that in the uh, in the version that has the keys. Um, I I think it's important to note that Apple aren't the first person that's done that. I think. Um, you know, Lenovo, um, various Windows machines have all had fingerprint readers on them. So it's not like revolutionary or, or anything brand new. But I think, again, with, with many things, Apple, it's all about how they integrate it with their software. And Apple Pay is, you know, a pretty seamless solution. So that is one thing that I think is is uh, genuinely useful. Uh, it's a shame that you have to, to get that, you have to opt into the full big touch bar, which I don't think most of us will really use. And... Um How's Dogecoin going these days? <laughs> Dogecoin is a, uh, it's it's tapered off a little bit. There's still a, a strong community there um, who's still, uh, you know, it's still I think a twenty twenty thirty million dollar economy. So it's it's <laughs> still got some steam behind it. It's crazy to believe, but um, I, I've kind of taken a backseat in that definitely, and uh, in crypto in general, I think uh, over the last couple of years because um, it, it, it's. Bitcoin and, and the other cryptos just really never got that mass adoption that we were looking for back then. Um, and I think that over the last few years, a bunch of other solutions for doing really fast payments between friends and family and even across the globe have come up. So I think you've got the Venmos and PayPal's improved a lot. You've got Facebook now doing payments. Um, you've got you know Instagram announced, I think, yesterday or today. Um, they're doing shopping where you can actually make purchases within Instagram and stuff like that. I think seamless transactions are, are happening all around us, and it probably isn't going to require cryptography to do it. Uh, it will in the back end, but to the user, it'll be seamless, and uh, it'll just use regular money. Have you heard about the new cryptocurrency release this week called uh, Zcash? Or yeah, I do. Yeah, I, uh, I know some of the people involved. Uh, Zuko, who's the main guy, he's very smart. Um, and the technology behind that's actually mind-bending. Uh, if you look into, you know, what the whole concept of zero-knowledge proofs and Z-snarks, it's it's miles ahead of Bitcoin from a technology perspective. Um, but again, and so I, you know, from a geeky perspective, it's like I can sit and geek out over that thing for for weeks. But um, I don't think the end user really cares about that. Uh, I think the end user cares about being able to send some money. Um, you know, to their friend or send some money from one country to another. Um, not not that it's using zero-knowledge proofs or all this special cryptography underneath it all. So I'm worried that it's a little bit too late and that it's going to be hard for that thing to kind of supplant Bitcoin. But we'll see where it goes. Um, what it would take, in my opinion, would be some big companies or some big software developers to start integrating something like that. So say 
Facebook or say Stripe or um, you know one of the payment processes like PayPal came out and said, yeah, we're going to adopt Zcash as the as the kind of online rail um, to send money across. That's the kind of mass adoption that one of these things needs to really kind of pop off and start uh, getting in front of regular people and not just us geeks. And how's um How's it working in tech in San Francisco compared to Sydney? I mean, Sydney, there's a lot of momentum at the moment. I mean, it's obviously, you know, nothing compared to Silicon Valley or, or San Francisco. <laughs> but is there anything that sort of stands out in your head at, at the, the sort of palpable difference between working in tech in the two cities? Yeah, I think you feel a lot more plugged into things. I think um, you can definitely feel an energy that just exists here in the city and also, you know, all the way down to kind of Silicon Valley and San Jose. It's There's just... If you go out to a bar or even just go and get a coffee here, you can pretty much guarantee that the people you're standing next to, you know, work at another tech company. Um, and so that's cool because, you know, you, you'll always find common ground with people here, typically. Um, I think that has its strengths and weaknesses. It can also get very overwhelming to just be surrounded all the time by tech and this fast pacing, fast paced movement. So definitely important. And one of my things I realized is that you need to have a good work life balance. Um, and I also need to get back to Australia or other places a little bit more often to kind of chill out because uh, it's very high, you know, fast paced. And Qantas now has their new, uh, new old. I mean, they used to have it. They took it back, took it away. And now they have it again, a direct flight from Sydney to San Francisco. So that's I really saw good. that. Yeah, I'm actually coming back there in uh, probably late February next year. So I might have to jump on Qantas and give it a try. I've been using United because they're the only ones that offer that uh, route uh, or were up until recently. So, yeah, that's actually good. It's always good to use Qantas. The, the, one, the one thing I find um, quite quirky about San Francisco is that you tend to meet people that work at Google, at Facebook, at Twitter, mm -hmm. um, you know, all sorts of companies, but you never bump into people that work at Apple, which I find really strange. Well, yeah, because they're all down at the, the headquarters, right? They're all down at the headquarters um, down in Silicon Valley, uh, Mountain View. So there's no... But wouldn't uh, some of them sort of live in San Francisco as well, just like many of the Google people do and the Facebook people do? I mean, surely there would be some that you would bump into. A bunch of them do. I think Apple's a funny company in that um, I think some of them live in the city, um, and I definitely have met some. They have buses that go down there. Uh -huh. um, but a lot of them, I think, uh, I think Apple's got a lot of older people, um, you know, and not, not so much younger on staff. Uh -huh. And so I think a lot of them live kind of in the San Mateo area. Right or uh, in the suburbs and they have families and you know it's pretty expensive to have a family up here in San Francisco so yeah there is a lot less you know I, you definitely run into more Facebook or Googlers or people like that Jackson it's been fantastic talking to you um, um, absolutely we're going to be curious to see what happens to this touchpad if it evolves or devolves um, and well the uh, good news is I can tell you that uh, the, the MacBook that I did buy the function key one uh, that does have the function keys if, if people are out there wondering about if it's any good it is I was super worried about the keyboard because I didn't really like the 12 inch MacBook keyboard um, this one's noticeably more clicky it's great. So I'm coming from a 2013 MacBook Pro and I'm blown out of the water impressed. So uh, that's the good news. There is still an option for us old school people who like real keys. People like their clicky keyboards, yeah. right? <laughs> their mechanical keyboards. Um, Jackson Palmer, Mark at Adobe, founder of Dogecoin and um, technologist of all things. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and we look forward to staying in touch. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Kevin. Have a great one. Thanks, Jackson. Bye-bye. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by Check Dog.
Use CheckDog to easily review and monitor your website for spelling errors, broken links, and broken images, all with the push of one button. CheckDog can also automatically monitor your website and notify you of newly introduced spelling errors. Go to checkdog.com forward slash podcast to receive 50% off your first month subscription. Checkdog.com, helping the world's leading websites keep their content error free. Well, Jackson's definitely thought about um, the MacBook Pros and some, some interesting um, ideas there. I'm a bit, it's a bit of a shame I couldn't actually get hold of one yesterday. Um, mm. They obviously, the ones, with the, it's the ones with the touch pads obviously sort of aren't out yet. Yeah. They probably haven't. You know, there's huge supply chain complexities around um, hardware. So they, they may mm. even just launch it before they've got their supply chain to sense demand with pre-orders and who knows. Mm. It's actually a very complex thing to get supply chains right. Yeah, didn't they have an issue with the iPhone 7 as well? I don't know. Like back ordering or they didn't have enough in stock. I know one of our other team members had issues um, with the watch. Um, right. Series 2. Yeah, right. He had to order it and wait weeks for it to turn up. Very tricky thing to get exactly right. Yeah. Because also you don't want to overstock, you know, but you don't mm. want to understock. Um, Very and true. actually I think a lot of people underestimate what Apple have really got right is supply chain because mm. right big time I think yeah. this is the first time I've heard of any problems yeah so um, you know that's a very complicated issue to, to get right so that's why the hardware game you know that's why Apple and Microsoft and you know these companies don't have that many competitors in the hardware space a few but it's hardware is tough like mm. it's really hard and there's all these lumpy issues that you can't iterate on and scale on and you land up with overstocked i mean there was a famous company in australia dick smith that went bankrupt earlier this year and one of the many reasons was you know stock levels around around goods and things like that just blew mm. out you know mm. so and there's the other case of like samsung like my heart goes out to them you know they've had to pull all their products like i can't imagine wow, how much nightmare. those cost them yeah yeah, I mean, it's you know they're lucky they are a substantial company that can yeah. can weather the the storm around it. But um, oh. you know to have you know a phone oh. where there's a big sign at the airport saying <laughs> you can't fly with this phone is not exactly great for business. No, I mean Pixel came out just in time. Really, it worked in their favour. Um, yeah, and I, I'm a little bit disappointed with Pixel, and we never got round with Joe to to chatting about. Um, the, the downsides of the the, the Android phone, um, mm. but um, I'm a little bit little bit disappointed. I almost bought one, but I decided to buy another HTC, mm. um, you know, which I'm been been pretty happy with as well. It's even survived the water damage, and it was pretty. It was a total immersion, yeah. and it survived pretty well. There's just the back button dies every now and then, um, uh, so you can't um, beat the iPhone though. <laughs> Steve Jobs would be proud. Um, yes. <laughs> so, Kate, um, what are your thoughts on the new Macs? I haven't tried one out yet because um, it's not in the store, obviously. But um, I, I don't mind the idea of the touch bar. I don't mind it. I like the idea of the, the fingerprint to log in and out and the, the fact that it's sensitive to the program that you're using. You know, for me, on Photoshop, for example, I could go through a color picker and um, potentially open Spotify and there's like play and pause. I think it's a much better solution or much handier than having a whole row of function keys. 
But what about as it relates to using an external keyboard and external screens, though? You use yeah. that most of the time. No, they would. Yes, exactly. I do, but potentially, if it if it took off, you could integrate that into the Mac keyboards, external ones. Yes, yes. Now that and see now to me that makes sense. Yeah. You know, like I would like a button just to minimize the screen or fire up something or mm. bring up my tweet deck or yeah. Uh, you know, that would make. But for me, it's, it'd be almost useless because 95% of the time I'm sitting with the external screen. On that no, occasion, I'm at a cafe or, mm. or something. You it's know. good if you're on the go. If you're um, on the go or if, you've, if you work from your laptop, which I think a lot of people do. They do. They shouldn't, though. No. Right? Our laptops are not designed for extensive use, and you can really, really screw up your body, like, mm. badly. So if you're listening to this, at the very least, get a laptop riser and an external keyboard, at the very least, so you don't have mm. to, you know, crouch your neck and be all crunched up Cramped over up. A, 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 the laptop, at the very least. Uh, you really shouldn't, you know, I've seen people really hurt themselves over sitting over laptops for days and mm. days and days. Um, well, they could always get one of the, the tables that you can adjust the height so they can stand. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, there, there are all sorts of ways, but um, yeah, look, be interesting to see what happens with the, the Macs and the MacBook Pros. I mean, you know, everyone's critical of all these, you know, like uh, Apple, but you know, they're selling oodles and oodles of these machines. They also have to balance mm. not changing what's working with innovating. Sure. What, what sort of surprises me is that they don't go out on a limb to have an experimental product, right? They can keep mm. everything uh, running as is. They've got so much money, right? Have something and call it the Apple Mac space, yeah. you know, or whatever it is. And just, and even every six months, come out with a new version and yeah. use that as your test bed and have a limited edition. And, you, you know, like they've got so much money and they've got such a strong brand. Don't go wild and confusing people, but just one product every six mm. months, right? It's an experimental Until, product. No, Man, sometimes it feels can. like, Kate, I've got to do bloody everything. You know, yeah. I've, got to, <laughs> I've got to like sort out Apple's <laughs> issues. Sort out Twitter's problems. <laughs> um, uh, I would really appreciate a hybrid machine machine i think as a as a creative to have like i even love if the trackpad and the touch bar could integrate with the apple pencil mm, wow. that would be really cool yeah flick through and because i feel like i haven't seen it but i feel like the touch bar might be quite fiddly mm. um that if you had your pencil you could precision touch Mm, interesting mm. yeah look still lots of look you know you know the problem with these super successful companies people start projecting a massive amount of expectations <laughs> onto them whether yeah. it's facebook or twitter or google or you know it's just they've got so much right around core products that you just like hit it out of the ballpark again come yeah. on you know and at the Do end it. of the day they just you know one come just keeping um, things going with their core products alone is hard you mm. know it's 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 running business is hard you know we are small tiny not even 15 person business and and to keep our wheels turning nice is is uh, hard enough so you know at the end of the day the companies it's all the same same issue yeah. it's just it's just compounded you know by, by many factors and it's hardware and production issues and everything so mm. but an experimental product don't know why they don't do that It'd be cool. I mean, they always talk about, I don't know if Apple has a name for theirs, but um, Google, for example, have the, the X labs, I think they mm -hmm. call them or something, mm -hmm. or completely experimental labs. Yeah. 
that sort of thing. To produce things out of those labs would be exciting. Even if they just had it at the Apple store that you couldn't even buy, right? You could just, just play, play with, with it. Mm. Get just, feedback. Just get feedback. Like. Play with the, you know, even just mm. maybe you have a little booth where you could go in and play with it, and it films you, and it tells you it's filming you. Yep. Right, and you have to talk about it. Or so. There's all sorts of things that can be yeah. done, especially a company with resources. And they get know. heaps of data and user testing through that. Maybe they, you know, they probably do this all internally, and you know, they've got enough staff. I suppose they do this stuff internally. You know, but oh, yeah. most of the people working for them would be techie. Yeah. So. Anyway, that's about it for episode number 66. Um, we've got some great episodes, as mentioned, coming up. Email us, podcast at itsamonkey.com. Especially if you're a startup, you know, we get a few thousand listeners and we'll put you um, in the show notes. If you're a startup, send through that 60 minutes, one minute startup uh, segment. And we still got a few slots for the next few weeks. If you missed our previous podcasts, um, about the blockchain if uh, the blockchain is something that's a really interesting technology previous podcast we spoke about the blog blockchain with the blockchain evangelist timothy lee um, which was really really interesting and um, if you have comments about this podcast just go to itsamonkey.com you can comment we uh, always have a couple of comments there and we'd love to engage with you and um, hopefully we'll see you in one week's time we're going to try get this going every friday and um, thanks so much for listening oh and if you can rate us on itunes we've had a few ratings come through um, that also really helps so you've been listening to kevin garber ceo of manage flitter and kate Frappel, design lead at manage flitter and thanks for joining us on this week's podcast